Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome again to Contextualize. Here it's AJ and Pastor Jim. It's been a while. It yeah, it's been a couple weeks. It was pre-Thanksgiving, so it feels yeah. So yeah, if we sound happier time. now, it's because we're more thankful. <laughs> that's maybe that's it. We're, we're we're jovial with the Christmas. We are not stuff, run down so. today, though we could be. Yeah. Well, um, I just got to bring this back up from earlier. Um, so for those who are listening, Jim, you you had shared something <laughs> rather comical or uh, very so, self-exposing, AJ. <laughs> so, so Jim walks over to my desk and it's like, "Hey, come come listen to this," <laughs> and it's our. Well, it's our podcast feed, but he's listening to your sermon, right, from Sunday. Yeah, so Sunday. I, I get tired of hearing myself speak. I mean, I'll be honest with you, but I still listen. Um, for those that listen, you know, with two services, it's really weird to be a preacher in two services. Um, there's different energies in the room, sometimes different distractions to the per, to, to myself preaching. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, gosh, I don't know which service went better, didn't go better. And so it's just... One of my practices, I'll try to listen on a Monday or Tuesday to what I think is the more clear presentation of the text uh-huh. and then try to learn from it. Um, but I get sick of doing it. So today, <laughs> today, I realized that I'd rather listen to myself in one and a half speed. <laughs> Probably like you're doing right now. On the yeah, the rest of you, go ahead and do this right now. Get it over with. <laughs> and I'm like, I can just end this quicker. And so I realized I sound eerily similar to some uh, a political pundit. <laughs> So do yourself a favor, <laughs> just so you can laugh at me. I don't even listen to this political pundit very often, but if you put my voice from a sermon, probably a sermon, not even this podcast, on one and a half speed, I think I sound exactly like Ben Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, talking really fast and just making really articulate points and then moving right on. It was terrifying. <laughs> It was, you know, I was doubtful when, when you first shared that, but then when you played it, I, I could hear it. So uh, it's, I'm curious. I, I know some folks at our church who, who listened to, to Shapiro, so I'm, I'm curious if we get any feedback yeah. on uh, whether people agree or think we're crazy. I don't know. Yes, yeah, so do call in. <laughs> Whatever number you think you should call. So, well, with, with that little fun tidbit, um, we, uh, we're we in Acts, as we've been uh, for the last several months, and last time we were together, we talked about um, really the first half of Acts 9, where Saul is uh, met by the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and brought to uh, brought to Jesus. And so uh, we're going to, there, there's more stuff at the end of chapter 9, we're just going to pass over that for, for our own purposes here, but... Um, today, really, we're going to look at chapter 10 and, and most of chapter 11. Uh, it's kind of all one story about Peter and Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius is a centurion, so he's a, he's a Gentile, and uh, about the gospel going uh, to Cornelius and the Gentiles through Peter. And uh, so the, the event happens in chapter 10, and then chapter 11 is Peter sharing with the church uh, what's going on. And so just before we get into it, I'll, I'll remind our listeners um Go back to Acts 1-8, which you can do almost any time you're in Acts, and think about where we're at in the story. Because in Acts 1-8, Jesus tells, the, the risen Jesus tells his disciples, um, stay here in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit who's going to come come upon you, and he'll empower you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so really, what we're seeing here is the beginning of that to the ends of the earth. Because we, we saw Samaria, we talked about that, they've been in Jerusalem the whole time. But now it's it's breaking out of really any of that Jewish context. And so it's really exciting, uh, cha- two chapters here. 
So, um, yeah, well, I don't, I don't, uh, it's a lot to cover. So we'll see how we it figure is, this it out. It is, but, but it's a lot of repeat. Yeah. Uh, chapter 11 is a lot of repeat. Right. And, um, and when Peter tells the story and gives a report back to the church of what he experienced. So the bulk of what we learn from or the kind of the message of the, of the story is, is along chapter 10, but the movements are pretty simple and clear. So should we just summarize it? Yeah. Yeah. Take us through that. Yeah, so you have, <laughs> excuse me, you have at the beginning of chapter 10 <clears throat> an introduction to a man named Cornelius. He's a centurion, he's, so he's a Roman soldier. He's got authority. He's a devout, God-fearing man. We know that because when you know, he's going to receive a vision that there's a man who's going to come to his house. Um, when Peter eventually does come to his house, Cornelius falls on his knees and worships Peter. Of course, Peter says, stop worshiping me. But this man fears God. He's got a high position of authority. He's got influence. He's got money. Um, and so this is this Gentile that Peter will eventually share the gospel with. So the text starts with an introduction to Cornelius. Then in verse 9, we're told uh, with regard Peter that you know he is actually going to be praying. He's at a house. He's at the home of Simon the Tanner, right? Um, yep. And uh, he receives a vision. And that vision is there in uh, verse 10. Uh, Peter fell into a trance. He saw the heavens open up. He saw something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners. Uh, you know, picture like kids in you know elementary school with the big, you know, the parachute going right. up and down, yep. up and down. Yep. So you have a big sheet. And in this vision, uh, it's coming down. And in, in this sheet were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. That's important because they would be animals that Peter, as a Jewish man, would know are unclean, right? Yep. And the voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And a voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common or do not call unclean. This happened three times. And Peter then is totally shaken by the vision. He's perplexed about it. And just as Cornelius really knew is these three men came to Peter and said, you need to follow us. Yeah, We're going to take you on an assignment from God. And that's really the first half of the chapter here. So yeah, that's 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 great. Um, one of the things that sticks out to me as I was reading this just beforehand is is Peter's response, which you drew our attention to there. Um, but that he is he's inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. So when this happens, and obviously it's it's got gravity for him. It happens three times, but he he's confused by it. Like he doesn't have clarity on what God's communicated to him at this point. Um, of what it means, um, and, and that's just interesting because later on, in uh, man, I don't know where it is. Let later on, uh, he, he very clearly begins to uh, verse twenty-eight. Um, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So he very quickly, at some point in this process, it clicks and he understands what God's communicating. But it's just interesting. His immediate reaction is to be perplexed by it. So he's perplexed. The vision is a very clear vision. It's it's repeated three times. Yeah. And then you have these men come to the door and they say, you need to come uh, without hesitation. And this the Spirit says to Peter, the men that are coming to get you, I sent them. And so he's directed by the angel to go and he's told, you're, you're going to go to the home of a man named Cornelius. He's upright. He's God-fearing. Mm-hmm. And when you come... They're going to ask you to speak, and they're ready to hear what you have to say. Yeah. 
That's all Peter knows. Yeah. Um, and so, in fact, I, I think it's an amazing thing that Cornelius uh, functionally says the same thing in verse 33. Um, he says, basically, I received a vision. I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. <laughs> now, therefore, we're all here. I got all my friends. I got all my family. Yeah. I basically set the table for a service, or at least for an evangelistic encounter. We're in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. And so one of the things that I just was thinking as I pre-read this, and this isn't the point of the chapter, but obviously we know we've been looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you know, all the chapters. But chapter 2 yeah. says that, you know, natural man cannot conceive of the things of God. Only, only the Spirit can do that. Yeah. In the sense of salvation... Cornelius is not a believer yet. He falls down and he worships Peter. His theology right. is very undeveloped. <laughs> and yeah. toward the end, after Peter shares the gospel, Cornelius is going to repent and be baptized. And the Holy Spirit's going to fall on them. But make no mistake, the first action, the first work of drawing a heart that's dead and cold toward God that doesn't know who Jesus is, is always God's first work. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. while the Holy Spirit hasn't fallen on them yet to make them believers, Cornelius didn't receive a vision because he decided to have a vision. That's, that's he received good. it by the Spirit. Cornelius didn't know that these men were going to go get Peter, and he didn't know that Peter had a word for them. All of that is by God's Holy Spirit. His providence is causing the story to unfold the way he does, even yeah. though the moment of conversion salvation hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And that's an important thing to see. Yeah, well, I think that's that's helpful to see uh, you know, God's initiative and God's sovereignty both in what we might think of as the event of salvation, right? That kind of that moment, that conversion. But he's sovereign over the whole path that gets you there. Yeah, so if somebody says to me, Jim, what is what are some key, what's so central to Reformed theology? Um, and, of course, that is touching on even the time of the Reformation. It's a big word, and I get all that. But one thing to say is basically, when does the work of God start in the life of a believer? As a Reformed Christian, one who believes in God's absolute sovereignty, we would say, from before the foundation of time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God started that work. Yeah. A non-reformed view would say, "Well, God starts working in my life when I decide to place my faith in Him." Yeah. Well, this is one. There's evidences all through Scripture where the prevenient, the first work of God, is happening well before a believer knows what to believe. Yeah. And this is just one of the. That's a. It's like the backdrop or the subliminal kind of undercurrent in this story is yeah. beginning at the very. Top of the chapter, Cornelius is even going to be told what's about to happen because God's Spirit is guiding him. Yeah. I think that's just astounding. Yeah, that's, that's we should great. be more confident than we are and right. more amazed when God orchestrates things the way yeah. he does. Yeah. Yeah. So so this story, uh, this vision that Peter has is initially about animals. Um, and we can think about Old Testament law and all of God's stipulations there about what's clean, what's unclean, what's common, what's holy. Um, and, and really giving the Jews a, a path to follow whereby to be clean and to be to be holy. Um, but we see that, that it's not simply food. It's not just animals that are in view. Um, again, going back to that verse 28, um, where Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Um, and so Peter uh, is saying that it's, it's for him, if, if he's just following Jewish custom here, what he's doing is not okay, um, but that the reason he's doing it, at the end of verse 28, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so the emphasis there being on the person, and that's, that's where the story is going with Cornelius, the centurion, the Gentile, 
um, really being declared not unclean right. <laughs> um, by the Lord yep. um, and by Peter um, as he as he receives this vision. So, so without a full Old Testament and biblical history sort of lesson, one thing that's important to note is God doesn't suddenly um, disagree with Himself. Mm. Yeah. Right to change up what he told God's people before. Um, yes, God had set apart his people. Yes, there was a difference between the people of Israel who were circumcised and cut off from the world and the world that did not honor and glorify God. But as we know, the promise was given to Abraham, by, by your seed, all the nations and all the people of the earth will be blessed. It was always God's intention that the message of rescue, the cleansing that comes through the seed, Mm -hmm. which would be David's seed also, which would be Christ, it was meant to be the savior of the world and those who would profess faith in him. And so it's not like God changed his mind. But one thing that's important here is you see the custom became so common and well known that the custom, in some regards, needed to be confronted by the intention of God's original promise to Abraham. Yeah. And so that's a little bit what you have here is you have common custom that was known by Jews and Gentiles alike. We shouldn't be doing this. It is now, it's just being pierced right through that. Yeah. Um, so that Peter can in confidence say, you can know cleanliness. Right. Just like I can know cleanliness yeah. through, the, through the person Jesus. Yeah. And I think uh, seeing what, you know, as you said earlier, Cornelius basically sets the stage, right? Hey, hey Peter, we're, we're here for you to evangelize us. Please, please speak the word of God to, for us. And if we look at verse 34 to 43, that section where Peter's preaching, I think looking at the beginning of that and the end of that is helpful. To so the very beginning, he says, truly understand that God shows no partiality. Um, and so God shows no partiality. But then he, he, he explains what he means. What, kind, what does he mean by partiality? It says in every nation, anyone, so so all nations, all people. There's no partiality as to ethnicity or location or geography, but it says anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so, in in, in one sense, I, I think if we wanted to uh, get a little cheeky, um, there there is partiality in the sense of God is looking for those who fear him and do what is acceptable to him, right? And that's that's through His Son Jesus. Um, but he's not partial in the sense of it's every nation and anyone. And, and we see a similar thing at the very end of verse 43. Uh, to him, Christ, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, again, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So uh, kind of all is level at the foot of the cross, right, as, as has been said before. And so all nations um, can come to God through Jesus because he makes us clean, not simply following custom or right. that that kind of thing so christianity is narrowly broad or broadly narrow and that's what we have on display here you just said cheeky that's you know i, I was we're doing cheeky textual discussion <laughs> that it, it was i think that's in my head from uh soccer practice in high school with uh, some of the British soccer coaches. That yeah, had. that's you know kind of a British. It's just, it means like smooth move. Yeah. So I, AJ said, "Well, let's be a little cheeky." Here. I'm like, "Who's going to be smooth?" Yeah. There we go. So, but it's a very valid point that we have a universality to the gospel. Yet we have a narrow, Christological, mm-hmm. singular pathway to knowing God. Yeah. That cannot be broadened. 
but its breadth will stretch across all nations and all time. And that's the point that Peter's yeah. going to share with Cornelius. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the door is, is narrow. The path is narrow, but it's open to all. Yeah. Right. So, well, let, let me ask you this, Jim, because um, this is kind of jumping to the next section. That's here. fine. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, what, what happens after Peter preaches is the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And Peter says, you know, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, um, he sees them speaking in tongues, extolling God, and then they, they, they baptize them uh, because they see the Spirit given. And so um, something we had said, I think, early on is, is just how in Acts we have to sort out some of what is descriptive of what's happening and some of what is prescriptive for us, you know, 2,000 years later to be mimicking or following. And so as we think about this idea of these Gentiles, right, this gathering of Gentiles, Cornelius and, and, and the gang, they start speaking in tongues when the Spirit falls upon them. So is that something we should expect or not? Or what in this text helps us to, to think through that? I didn't know you were going to ask that question. It's a great question. It's an important question. What you have is that the, they believed by means of the Spirit's help. And the evidence that it was the Spirit that enabled them to believe was the speaking of tongues. So you have um, the believers who were there among the circumcised, who were there with Peter, were amazed because the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And so mm-hmm. I think what's important here is you have an outward manifestation, that the, the, the path of salvation, the, the, the necessity of the Spirit giving life needed to be visually poured out on the Gentiles just as it had happened in Acts chapter 2 among you know, those who are waiting right. for the Holy Spirit to fall at Pentecost, like Jesus had said, so that you could almost see it as a stamp of approval. Yeah. This is the same working of God. And, of course, it's still the apostolic authority that's there to be a part of it. Um, but you do not have the speaking in tongues being the, the next step that they begged for to prove that it was real. Right. You don't have that. Right. So I would say it's not prescriptive in that sense. Yeah. But it is descriptive of a very similar outpouring as in Acts chapter 2, so as to say this is the, the same working of the Spirit that applies the resurrected mm-hmm. Christ's work to those who believe. There is no difference, Jew or Greek, no difference. Yeah. And so it's important that this scene does have this as an evidence. Yeah. But I would say it's not prescriptive because um, there's no command that yeah. Peter gives to them to say, now you need to pray for this to happen and you'll really be in the club. Right. That's not there. Yeah. I, that's great. And, and, you know, there's other places that we can even look at where people obviously come to faith. Spirit and do, falls and, upon them and, and there's no evidence of this. And um, I just, I think it's helpful to think about that con- that question with what's going on. Because again, we're Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now we're to the ends of the earth, the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. Peter receives this vision about animals, but really about people, non-Jews, being clean before the Lord, that he doesn't show partiality towards them. And I don't know, I just think if if there was no external uh, marker for that, would that have been accepted by those around Peter? Because this is a huge deal. We're going to well, cover the next Well, he goes off to the church chapters, and he, to- he right? tells them that in chapter 11, like, hey, I saw the Holy Spirit be poured out just like it happened to us. Yeah, and, and that's because they, in verse 2 of chapter 11, when Peter came up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. We like, heard you did what you're not supposed to do. And he yeah. says, hold on, time out. I received a vision. And also, look what happened. And yeah. so then you see, what is it, toward the 
In verse 17, verse he says, 17. If God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Yeah. <laughs> so this is not our doing, just like what we experienced together at Pentecost Wasn't was our not doing. our doing. Yeah. And, and so it's, to me, it's just like God writing his signature very clearly for all the Jews there to see, and the Gentiles, right? I they're, like the way you said that, God writing his signature. It's like, this is my work. That's and this is so helpful. And I mean, I think you could say throughout the whole New Testament, what is the what is the marker or the signature of God? Uh, it's going to be our lives conforming to His holiness. It's it's repentance. Yeah. Faith is followed by repentance. Faith yeah. is not always followed by these kinds of <laughs> signs. Yeah. Faith is followed by repentance that leads to sanctification, that leads to conformity to His character, and that's what James says. James yeah. says, "You show your faith in the God who of all grace by by means of your faithful living." And so, you know, the, yeah. the scriptures don't con con contradict one another here. Right. But I like how you call it God's signature. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, just the final verse to draw attention to, verse 18. Then they said, they glorify God, the church does, when they hear this. Then, and they say, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Like, that is their response. They say, this is God's doing. God has granted this to them, and we should rejoice in it, not stand in the way of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's beautiful. I know so, we're probably pretty close on time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but just a cut one last little yeah. obs observation. We were doing some reading. This something happened about ten years after this event. Yeah. And right. you know, if, if if you think of what it must have been like for Peter to have received this vision, for Peter to have been there, to have then seen what happened at Cornelius' house and the way the spirit prepared the way. Then for Peter to go back to Jerusalem and talk to the leaders of the church and be willing to defend what happened as being the legitimate work of God. He kind of put his own credentials out there for, you know, skeptical analysis. And he, he saw the whole church affirm God does not differentiate. You'd think that Peter would be forever marked and forever changed. Um, but we read in Galatians chapter 2, about 10 years later is what most commentators think, that the Apostle Paul saw Peter. And Peter was sitting with Gentiles in, you know, at, at, at table. He was having a meal with them. And when he looked up, he saw an entourage from the church in Jerusalem. And he, the way the text basically describes it, he jumps up, grabs his lunch tray, and goes and sits with the Jews instead of the Gentiles. He didn't want to get caught. Um, and Paul says because he so visibly violated what he knew to be true, that there is no differentiation between Jews and Greeks who find their righteousness in Jesus. I rebuked him to his face because he stood condemned for he was living in contradiction to the gospel and needed mm -hmm. to be true. It's one of the most powerful scenes of yeah. Paul the Apostle confronting Peter. Yeah. And I think a takeaway, and this may be a good place even to close up, is just this magnanimous experience Peter had in Acts 10. Every single day the enemy wants to assault the heart of a child of God with false things. And in Peter's case, it appears that he was always afraid of not being affirmed by the Jewish church. Yeah. He had right. this fear of man that was so pervasive and so powerful that in a moment he would violate what he knew to be true because of what people might think of him. That sounds eerily true to all of us. Um, and none of us have had that type of an experience, typically speaking. Um, the other thing is... It didn't fully take in the church at Jerusalem. Yeah. Right? right? So you have in this text, they glorify God. They said this is this is an absolute truth that God works the same among Jews and Gentiles. However, 
within a decade, the Jerusalem church was would be frowning upon Peter if they found him eating at table with the Gentiles. So folks who are listening, especially those of you who are part of Christ Community Church, we need to be ever vigilant and always praying for the Lord to, to give us opportunities to apply what he's revealed in his word to us, to apply truth that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male nor female, that, that, that forgiveness means forgiveness, that there's no guilt or shame in the sight of God for those who've been forgiven, that clean means clean. I could just go through all of it, mm-hmm. that he's sovereign, and that means he's sovereign. That doesn't mean he's sleeping on the job if you go through a trial. All those things we say we believe, in an instant, we can violate and deny those things because of very poor uh, poor motives, fear of man, what people think of us, uh, it's just, it happens. And so the vigilance that's required, even for a man like Peter, the Holy Spirit working every single day to, to help us live out the truth that's been revealed is a critical, important part of this passage. It's good, Lord. It's good. Yeah. Well, people, enjoy. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Hey, this is a long podcast, so I might recommend oh, yeah. that they listen to it in one and a half, in speed, one and a half speed. In one and a half speed. And then we'll decide what... Public AJ feature, and Vince, Vince yeah. Who does AJ sound like at one? He, he might have a different take on something.